finally the camera. Oh, I am feeling better. Still stuffy, but far better. Got paid. And wait a minute, isn't 60 days in arrears kind of normal for business operations? What's it like to move to Beijing? Good question. That's what I was asked today. Do I even remember? And the 4x4 by 48 is coming up. Are you ready? Am I ready? Folks, it is Wednesday, February 28th, 2024. I'm your Canadian expat here in Beijing, China. <clears throat> Getting over the latest bout of COVID, the latest bout of the seasonal flu, or the latest bout of simply falling ill, succumbing to whatever is going around. Apparently, there was a guy uh, that I sort of that I used to work with. He lives nearby. He got sick as well, or he was sick. Um, so there, it has been going around, I guess, a little bit. Uh, yeah, not happy that I got sick. Not not gonna lie, but today felt far better. Got up at like seven a.m. or whatever. Uh, yesterday, I think I fell asleep at six p.m. or something. Five p.m. It was basically the afternoon was a wash. I uh, didn't do very much. Uh, but the morning, I was still kind of just pushing through. I did end up buying like six liters of juice, like orange juice, mango juice, cranberry juice. And the idea being that I was just going to, oh, and ginger. So I made ginger water. The idea was just going to hydrate and the drinking juice helps me hydrate. Then I was thinking like, why do I still kind of feel dehydrated? Well, because I'm drinking all this juice. I'm going, how much water am I actually taking in? And so, yeah, I don't think that was the, uh, not the best not the best method of approach. I should have been cutting the juice with a little bit more water. That might have helped uh, keep me a little bit more hydrated than I actually was. Overall, uh, glad that it's pretty much over. The headache, the headache sort of faded sometime this this morning. Uh, so by the by, by the time I went to on my morning walk at around eight thirty or so, eight, eight o'clock actually, it was a little bit late getting out. I didn't do any workouts today. Uh, they, yesterday, of course, was a uh, right off, but today I uh, just didn't even really think about it. I did work today, but today I had to do. Uh, I, I wasn't. I didn't have to meet with any clients or anything like that. So as a result, I could just do my the the work on my own pace at my own pace, and not worry about having to have like a good face on and stuff like that, which was a lot a lot helpful. But I did have a Chinese class at nine o'clock in the morning, so uh, that sort of kept me uh, moving throughout the morning and not really. Uh, I mean, I, I did move it from lunchtime to 9 a.m. with the idea that I would do my lunchtime workout. But by the time lunchtime had run around or came around, I actually got caught up uh, doing something else instead. So never did get around to doing it, but felt better by the walk this morning. I uh, went out for uh, I got my uh, my coffee, went for a Chinese bowels as well. Got the Chinese breakfast, you know, kind of ate that throughout the day. And so I had my appetite sort of returned. Uh, it was good. I mean, I've been sucking back liters of juice, so I was getting calories and everything like that, but I wasn't get, getting like the proteins and stuff. If you're wondering, how did the weight loss go? Yeah, I was down by about two or three kilos this morning when I weighed in uh, just after I woke up. And of course, that's sort of uh, slowly gone up over the day as I've, I've finally rehydrated and um, uh, started eating a little bit more as well. Uh, Chinese class. So this um, <clears throat> is actually going to be this was the uh, second last class with this uh, one teacher. I probably will get another set of 10 classes with her. Uh, probably not starting until April or May. Uh, just, I, I need some, I need some other time. You know, actually, oh, that's a good question because this Hacking Chinese Challenge in the month of March, I think is a speaking 
uh, challenge. But I was wondering, maybe I should actually change it up and go through italki to get two or three different other teachers and just put the uh, the classes at like lunchtime and uh, in the evening again in an effort to really bolster my Chinese speaking because it has atrophied horribly. It, it's terrible just how much I'm trying to remember words I'm going, these these are words I should know. Like it's not old age. It can't be old age, can it? But uh, certainly it's frustrating actually knowing thinking I know the words and then trying to say the word, I'm going, I can't, I don't even know what the heck I'm trying to say anymore. What, what WTF is going on? Um, maybe it's because I was sick, but that, that, no, this is, that is an excuse for today. Maybe we're talking before this. Um, uh, I've let it get a lot more rusty than I want it to. And so I was kind of hoping I could find another way to uh, just up my speaking contact time bar joining a Chinese company, how else could I find time to speak Chinese more? To And not just, I mean, because if I'm studying Russian as well, well, how do I do the same thing for Russian or Ukrainian or French? How do I get not just comprehensive, but intensive speaking practice when I've got three or four different languages on the go? It, it almost doesn't even make sense that during a day to to get this all done challenge i know uh but the, for for chinese i mean i guess the speaking isn't so, so much the biggest challenge the biggest challenge for me is finding time to spend time reading and writing and i know that if i started reading more i think my vocabulary would be a lot better and my grammar as a result my speaking would improve and if my speaking improves, I think my listening would improve vastly as well. This is sort of a uh, something that I've noticed with Chinese that uh, the skill set that you need, the language skill set that you know, the speaking, reading, writing, uh, listening, that's the methodology to uh, acquire each different skill is not the same as you would go about a different language. So if you learn how to speak Chinese, it doesn't mean you're going to be able to read or write or even you might be able to listen, but you might not even be able to do that because uh, it's, you'd have to, you, you it, of course you could be able to listen well, but being able to speak uh, and listen is not the same as being able to read something and then absorb the characters, the words, the vocabulary, and then speak about that vocabulary that you've just read on a notice or something like that and then listen to the response and understand the response. So maybe not the best analogy, but that's what I've sort of seen happen as well. And uh, that's something that I still struggle with. So uh, tomorrow night will be the final class with her. I guess if I did, if I would go about this, uh, I did find another Russian teacher. Um, and that was only because I, I mentioned yesterday that I wanted to find someone who just practiced grammar with me. And I kind of feel bad about this girl that I'm uh, having classes with right now, this teacher. Because she, uh, I guess I signed up for conversational classes and that's what she's been trying to do. But after five months of not speaking Russian for a while, it's kind of like there can't be a conversational class because I don't remember what I'm trying to say. I, my, I've atrophied even more in that language. So I did find another Russian grammar teacher. Uh, hopefully that uh, goes the way that I think it should, which is just grammar only. And then I'll continue on with uh, conversational classes as well. 
uh, try to double up that with uh, my Chinese classes, which I'll just focus on speaking. Uh, I have been listening to the HSK5 lecture series by Sei Nin Hao uh, Chinese on YouTube. They have all of their uh, their classes right from HSK1 to the end of HSK6, I think. All of the old book, uh, all the old books. So the HSK got revamped again a couple of years ago. And this uh, these teachers, they put all of their classes on YouTube free to listen. So it's, it's kind of nice. I've been going through those and just having them play in the background because I've done a lot of those chapters in the HSK five books, but uh, some of them, you know, doesn't, doesn't hurt to review every now and then as well. Right. All right. So we got paid, which is uh, awesome. And I was kind of wondering 60, I've complained about this before as an employee getting paid 60 days in arrear. So the, the work I do on January 2nd doesn't get paid until the end of February. That seemed like for an employee, that's like, oh my goodness, how could you do this to me? Don't you know I have bills to pay? And that's one way to look at it. But then when you hear, when you learn sort of how other businesses operate, it's quite common for them to be paid 60 to 90 days in arrears. So 60 to 90 days later than they do the job or they, they uh, sell the product, I guess it is. Um, and so I was looking at some of these business videos on uh, YouTube, but then also looking into uh, how it works to uh, like basically operate a business here in China. And by that, I mean, like, uh, is it import export? If you sourced products from China and sold them overseas, when do you take payment? When does it become actual cash money in your account rather than uh, you know, just an idea on paper sort of thing that you get paid right away, or is it something that uh, takes a while to uh, get deposited into your account as well? Now, that's barring PayPal or Stripe um, issues. So those are payment processing issues that are overseas, not in China. China might have their own issues as well. Not entirely sure to tell you the truth. So it's, uh, this is something that I've uh, been looking into and uh, looking to learn just a little bit more uh, about. So basically, 60 days in your rears. Don't worry about it there, Stevie. On that note, the stock market, you might be wondering how's that how that has been going. Now, since uh, the Chinese markets opened up last Monday, uh, they've been on a tear, as I sort of thought they would. They, they've been doing pretty well. Um, I did close out a few of my uh, positions, uh, notably, like I sold half, half positions as well. So typically what happens, what I'll, I'll do in a situation like this, I was actually asked, uh, like, how do you know when to buy? How do you know when to sell? There's sort of two things that I've looked that I look for typically, particularly when I'm trading Chinese stocks, because Chinese stocks tend to be a little bit more volatile than uh, what they are in the West. Um, although my trading style in the West has changed substantially over the years. So in China, typically I look for uh, a larger name. I don't look for small companies. I'm not really interested in finding like the next big Amazon. I don't think it's, I don't have the cash to buy a thousand shares of each company and just hold them for a while. Uh, instead, big company, Qing, uh, Qingdao Pijo, uh, Tonghua Xun is a securities trading company. The banks, I think those are going to be the next big ones that sort of pop uh, very nicely after they finish their current pullback. Um, car makers as well, like BID. And then uh, there's software companies. Some of them would be okay. 
metal companies, uh, commodity companies might also be something to look at. So with that in mind, um, I want to look at sort of the chart pattern. I am very much interested. Also, I'm not a technical trader in that sense that, oh, well, this chart, uh, this stock is performing this and this sort of pattern. So ergo, therefore, I will or will not buy it. Now, there are times when I look at a chart and go, hey, that's forming a bear pendant or a flag or that looks like whatever pennant, but it looks as if it's going to break out. Let's buy 100 shares and watch it. So that's typically what I'll, I'll do is I'll watch for the technicals. I'll watch for uh, the chart, the price action pattern, see how it's sort of developed over time and uh, whether or not it's sort of leaning more towards breaking to the upside or if I'm wrong, if I'm holding a stock and it's like this thing is going to keep on going down, sell, cut your losses, get out. So there's actually three things. So that, that's the first one, technical. Number two is the Bollinger Bands. I've noticed that these, so this is also another technical uh, indicator. And with this one, this one is not like watching chart patterns. This is watching a technical indicator, which measures the standard deviations of uh, a price, uh, uh, any given price. So if the price is $10, the Bollinger Bands looks at the price as it, it draws you a sort of a little technical snake, if you will, a technical channel that ranges between 12 and 8. So that's plus two standard deviations on each side, right? Or plus and minus uh, two standard deviations. I might be getting the exact uh, numbers wrong, but it doesn't matter. The Bollinger Bands are something I've looked at. And I've noticed over time in China, it, for Chinese stocks, when stocks pop above the Bollinger Bands, or drop far below them. So they break through the bottom or the top Bollinger Bands. If you ever look at the Bollinger Band, look what, Google it right now, Bollinger Bands, stock trading. It'll show up. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about. There's a middle line. That's your, your, your zero uh, deviation. And then there's one that's going to be plus two and one that's going to be minus two. The top one is a plus. The bottom one is the negative. When it jumps above the top line, typically what happens, it falls. If not the same day, then the next day. Likewise, when it drops through the bottom Bollinger Band, the next day, if not the same day, it reverses. So I use this for reversals, typically for extremes, and that's when I'll start clipping some of my monies. Um, and the third one, the third one that I've heard that people use is the 20% rule. Now, this one's a little bit, 20% means that you've made 20% on a, a stock gain, but that one doesn't always make sense because if you make 20%, what if the stock keeps on going up to 60%? So it doesn't really make sense to do that. What you can do instead is set what's called a stop loss. And a stop loss is something where if it breaches, like if you pick an 8% stop loss, that means if it uh, falls 8% from whatever price you set as the, the standard to go by, then the position is closed pretty much automatically. The issue with the stop losses here in China is that these stocks are highly volatile and they kind of whipsaw you out. So a stock can go up 5, 10, 15% in a day, just as fast as it can go down 15%. So basically, on a stock, in Chinese stock, they can have a variation of about 30%. They can go up 15%, get pinned, and go stop, stop trading, and then they can go the exact opposite way and get pinned at the minus 15% stop trading as well. And by stop trading, I mean, uh, I'm not sure if you can sell you can buy i don't basically the stock the, the the stock gets halted at whatever point um 
they, they reach their sort of their stop limit for the day. But a stop loss would get you kicked out at a certain percentage point. So if you set it at a minus eight percentage point, then you get stopped off at minus eight. You don't lose that extra 7%. But uh, yeah, so with Chinese stocks, I've I don't use those very much because more times than not, my timing isn't the greatest. And stocks typically drop a little bit from when I uh, buy. And usually if I hold it long enough, three, four months, I've noticed that they usually rebound and you, you can usually close the uh, the stock on the uh, on the upside, on the, on the positive note. Now, sometimes it doesn't work. <laughs> sometimes you take your losses and it's nice to have that minus eight percentage, uh, that, that, you know, that 8% drop in your favor if you have that stop loss in place. But if you don't, well, then you, you can you can justify your reason for having a day job. How's that? <laughs> My meaning is that if you didn't lose the money in the stock market, then you wouldn't have to uh, work your day job. But uh, not everybody should be trading anyway, to tell you the truth. All right, so enough of that. Stock trading market has been doing okay. Uh, it's been falling as of late, but yes, I'm looking at the Chinese banks and going, I can't help but think technical patterns, um, massive price action, massive price drops for the last couple of years. If anything sort of has come out of uh, the, the Chinese government sort of putting the brakes on a lot of lending on the real estate, it's that I think what we've just seen happen in the Chinese markets that they have bled dry any of the really bad elements at play. And so I think what's going to happen now is that you're going to see turn around a little bit more. I don't know for sure if they're bad elements. All I know is that the banks have been crushed so much. They're at points where you're kind of going, it can't get... you Unless they stop trading the stock market, even then, the banks can't go out of business. Who else would handle the money? It's... So it's almost getting to that point uh, that uh, the Chinese bank stocks are on. So something to look at if you're uh, uh, looking at Chinese stocks. And of course, don't take a podcaster's word for it. Do your own uh, research. Perform your own due diligence. Consult your own financial advisor. Your money, your problems, not mine. Hey, what's it like to move to Beijing? Good question. Got a, a question today actually was uh, requested. I was put in touch with a guy who was looking to move to Beijing uh, sometime later in the year. He's going to take up a job uh, in the city, but some of his job is going to be involved traveling and everything. He's never lived in Beijing. He's never lived in China before. I'm not sure if he's lived anywhere else. He's lived in New York uh, most of his life, I guess. And uh, we were sort of talking about apartments and sort of uh, becoming acclimatized to uh, China and Beijing and its culture and everything. And he's like, yeah, maybe I'll learn Chinese. I laughed. I'm like, no, you won't. <laughs> you just won't. Sorry, bro. I don't mean to. I don't mean to be harsh, but uh, you will not learn Chinese unless you are committing yourself to five, six, ten years here, uh, or unless you're a full time student. You're not learning Chinese. You're not going to pick it up as you go. It's not going to happen. I mean, you'll pick up a little bit as you go, but it's not going to be fluency and being able to do much more than order or maybe talk to the delivery guy. Uh, in a friendly conversation in the elevator sort of thing. Like we're talking like bare minimum sort of type of Chinese. Um, it, it Yes, it is that kind of a, a language. But in terms of housing rentals, I was, you know, I haven't moved different uh, in apartments. And he was also talking about like, uh, you know, what, what it's like to sort of get around the city. He wants to be close to work. 
And I'm thinking, oh, but yeah, it's, it's not so hard to share bikes and stuff like that. Then I'm thinking, oh, wait a minute. The share bikes are all connected to Alipay or WeChat, which you have to have set up. And to set up Alipay or WeChat, you need to have a bank account. Now, in order to have a bank account, you have to go sit in the bank for a couple hours as well. And you probably need someone who speaks English and Chinese to go with you so you can sort of know what's going on. You're not doing this on your own, which typically the company will actually uh, provide for you. So uh, it's not all that bad. But I was just sort of thinking like over, how long have you been in, in, in China, Steve? I'm like, yeah, it's 10 years, <laughs> like basically 10 years. And on that Chinese comment about learning the language, uh, I had to tell him like, yeah, most of the guys that I know who speak Chinese fluently are pretty much married to women who don't speak much English. So their their English level uh, is not as good as, well, is, is decent, but it would be broken and it's just easier for them to speak Chinese than it is to speak English most times. Those are the guys who are like fluent, fluent. Now, there are other guys who are functional in Chinese who can sort of make their way through uh, different conversations. And sometimes they are married to uh, typically women who are um, who are fluent in both Chinese and man, and their, or their English is good enough that they the, the relationship takes place in English. But uh, if they if their wives are speaking Chinese, typically these guys can sort of make their way through it or talking to the in-laws. Now, they might not be able to talk to their in-laws and they might not want to. That's also part and parcel of living in China uh, or around the world of having in-laws, I guess. But getting to your your Chinese skills to that level, it takes a bit of commitment. So, uh, But overall, looking at different apartments, I'm going, yeah, I guess um, we were comparing apartments prices. Uh, he was looking at fully furnished, like serviced apartments. I'm going, okay, dude, that, that's that's a different level. I don't look at those areas. I know I know at least one other woman who's lived in serviced apartments and they're very nice. I've never been inside, but I mean, they're like hotels. They're basically like hotels where they take care of everything. And I was thinking about like the reasoning behind it, not just the fact that he would be brought over for, uh, by a uh, by a Chinese company that would pretty much give him a lot of a lot of perks to, to to come here basically. But it was also like if you don't know how to hire a house cleaner, if you don't know how to get YMI to take out uh, delivered, if you don't know how to get your way around and stuff like that, and you don't really have that same desire to be like, oh, I'm going to learn the Chinese language and learn how to function amongst the locals, then yeah, service department, probably a good idea. Because if you go into the compounds and the cheaper places or the hutongs, it's you're the... Yes, there are English speakers around, but you're going to have a very different experience. And it might, and I think most importantly, will coming home be a happy event or another thing that you dread? And this is sort of where we were kind of debating what the, the pros and cons of spending so much on an apartment is that, okay, kitchen has to be nice and clean and good. Awesome. For me, it's the, the toilet area. The bathroom should be like not icky and full of cockroaches, visible during the day sort of thing. Is your apartment, is your home, the place that you call home, the place you go back to, is it somewhere that you don't have to bring other people back? Fuck that shit. No, it's your it's your life. It's your, your abode. <clears throat> is it somewhere that you <clears throat> look forward to returning to? Or is it something you're also like, you know what? If I stay another day in a hotel out of, out of the city, means I don't have to go back to that apartment. This is the thing that you kind of have to 
um, look at when you're considering how much you're willing to pay for rent in a new country, in a new city, in a new place that you're moving to that you might not have uh, otherwise thought of. Finally, 4 by 4 by 48 coming up. Typically, it's the first weekend of March. Uh, I did say that I might have to push it off this year. I might actually be able to run it this year. So are you ready? Am I ready? I don't know. I'm getting over a sickness. If I don't do it this weekend, then it's going to be next weekend. Uh, if I'm still in Beijing, if I'm not in Beijing, and the reason I say that is that I was kind of looking to uh, get out of here for a couple of weeks to go to Canada at some point, but nothing has been booked. I can't believe the uh, price of uh, airplane tickets has gone up so much. Uh, it's because there's no direct flight from Beijing to Vancouver, but I've complained about this before, so I won't do it again. 4 by 4 by 48 run 4 miles every 4 hours for 48 hours. I wonder if I can beat last year's where I did 52 miles in... Uh, 48, well, in actually 40, 52 hours, I guess, because I just did an extra leg. I might try to do that again this year and see if I can go a little bit farther. Uh, given that, why not? I, I might just start Friday morning and just go all weekend. And with that, folks, I'll leave it there. Thank you very much for listening. I appreciate it uh, for putting up with my uh, gargly throat and my... <sighs> again, delicious. You love it. I know. That's how you know this podcast is real. There's no covering up. There's, I mean, yeah, there's intro music now. Wasn't like that two months ago. <laughs> yeah, there's nice and sweet and sexy scintillating voice that sounds well-polished in post-production. Wasn't like that two years ago. It's changed over time. So uh, I appreciate uh, you guys taking the time and listening and listening into the life and times of a working traveler. Steven Sersky, Canadian expat, Beijing, China. All right, folks, we're going to leave it there. Thanks again. We'll do this again. Show us some tracks up on my website, stevensersky.com. Of, of course, have a good one out there. Stay healthy. Make sure you uh, cover up your head because it's not warm enough yet to forego the head coverings, whether it's a cap, a toque, or a hood. All right. Thanks again. We'll do this again. Have a good one. Bye-bye.